In the early morning there was a cloud coverage, but the day got better and better and uh, I remember the last 150 kilometers, it was pure joy. It was uh, flying uh, below cloud streets. This is Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast, coming to you from the mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and bringing you great soaring content from glider pilots all over the globe. We now join Chuck and our guest pilot. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope most of you are on your way to the glider port or planning to fly very soon and hopefully taking advantage of some better soaring weather. Today we'll be talking with glider pilot and airline captain Rudy Schlesinger in Austria. Rudy started flying gliders in 1998 and he later flew competitions including the Austrian Junior Nationals in 2002, Junior Worlds in Slovakia in 2003, and later that year, he was invited to a training camp with George Lee in Austria. Now, of course, we interviewed George Lee on episode 85, for those of you that want to check that out. And that one is titled Soaring with Prince Charles. Rudy flew his first 1,000K flight in 2010. He was Austrian national champion in 2012. He had two world records in the 13.5 meter class in 2020. I really enjoyed my chat with him. And I'm excited to share it with you. He has some crazy stories, like the time he flew around the tower at Vienna International Airport in his glider. Stick around after our chat with Rudy. We do have another new segment from our friend Sergio, the Soaring Master, as he talks about cross-country checks. So let's launch episode 116, now on Soaring the Sky. Rudy, so happy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome to Soaring the Sky. Hello, Chuck. Thank you very much. I'm very happy about the invitation. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you. I've seen so much of your stuff on social media. But before we get into all that glider stuff, maybe start off with how did you get into aviation? I mean, fast forward to what you do for your day job, and then maybe we can circle back into the glider stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah, my interest in aviation is, is since I was a little boy, um, I was interested in aviation since yeah since a lot of years and um so really to to get into aviation um with at the age of 14 you can choose in austria between different type of schools you want to attend with that age and um there are different schools with different focuses for example economical stuff and technical stuff and there is only one school for aeronautical engineering and i thought well I have to go there and it was not that easy because it's quite far away uh, from my hometown and uh, at the age of 14 I had to join a, a boarding school and uh, was coming back to my parents only on the weekends but uh, yeah um, it was not a problem for me because uh, my interest in aviation was uh, that great so that I yeah made this and, and, and went there. Yeah, after after being back in Linz, where my hometown is, um, I started to go to university, started my studies there, and uh, in parallel, I started with gliding. I was able to gain a lot of hours uh, in the uh, during my university time, and uh, after some work, I decided to become an airline pilot. So uh, I, I switched my job. At quite a 
an old age actually so i was close to the to the maximum age uh, to enter the the airline here in in austria but i never regretted it and uh, yeah i would say uh, my profession is being an airline pilot and the passion is for sure guiding so how old were you when you got into flying the airliner then so i was uh, 28 Okay. About, and and uh, my luck was uh, that I've completed my uni university studies because otherwise I would have been too old to apply um, at a job for Austrian Airlines. This is the airline which I'm flying for. It's part of the Lufthansa group. They have um, those requirements which are quite strict, actually. You start um, in our airline as a first officer flying short range or medium range aircrafts then you get sometimes the chance to switch to long range and um, when when you get the chance for an upgrade to be an airline captain you start again with the short and medium range okay and this is where i'm presently now and uh yeah so i've seen quite a lot of places i've been two years on long range aircrafts and was vis visiting a lot of countries like the US and, and Far East, it was really a, a very interesting time, probably one of the best times of my life. Awesome. So let's dig into a little bit of history with sailplanes and gliding. I'm excited about this. Maybe uh, take us back yeah. <laughs> to where it all began, where it evolved, and when did you start getting interested in setting records or racing, all that stuff? Yeah, I started... Um, Right after the school, uh, when I was back home in Linz, I joined my club where I'm still flying. And I had quite, I was quite lucky because um, uh, a few years after, after I made my license, uh, the Austrian Aero Club started the junior program, which wasn't uh, B before there before this time so um, they launched a program to support young glider pilots and uh, i was probably at the right time at on the right place and i could attend a lot of um, trainings with uh, experienced glider pilots and they also started competitions for junior pilots like uh, the austrian junior nationals where I have been attending at the first comp national competition back in 2002. And uh, they were sending a team to the junior world, an Austrian guiding, junior guiding team to the world, uh, junior world guiding championships in Slovakia. And I was one of the lucky four who, who was able to participate there. So right. this is... Um, my my story and and i continued a bit with the competition flying until yeah the time for for my family took took more and more time yeah for me i understand i i, I have uh several grandchildren now so i know i know what know what that is the time involved congratulations <laughs> thank you yeah they're they're a handful but but i wouldn't trade it for the world they're they're awesome yeah yeah, somebody lots, told lots me lots of good times with them. Some somebody told me that uh, being a grandfather is even better than being a father. <laughs> it is. I I agree. Okay. It's it's uh it's totally different. I I can't explain it, but it, it's totally different. 
And then, you know, you can uh, spoil them and send them back home, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly. This is <laughs> what the guy has told me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So what are some things of the glider pilot and when sitting in an air, airline cockpit with a non-glider pilot that you think all things equal make you a better overall aviator than, of course, the pilot next to you without any glider background? I mean, surely there must be some aspects like recognition of weather, energy lines, turbulence, wave, or maybe even, of course, the flight simulator. If you have a catastrophic bird strike or something and you're basically in a giant glider anyway, maybe you could talk for a few minutes about that. And what are some of the aspects of being an airline pilot that help you with your glider flight? Yeah, I wouldn't dare to say I'm, I'm a better aviator, but there are, as you, as you correctly mentioned, there are some aspects which which helps when when I'm flying as an airline captain. For example, I would say we are much more trained to recognize how the aircraft moves. So in case of turbulence or thermos, we know, okay, uh, the aircraft is starting to bank, etc. And we are trained as a guider pilot to yeah, correct or as a guider pilot to start circling in a thermal and um, uh, switching back to, to the airline business, if we are flying an approach and uh, it, the aircraft starts to bank, we are probably a bit faster to, to react and, and counteract uh, this banking. So, and of course, uh, weather and, and, and turbulence, for example, when you're used to fly waves or the rotors below the waves, you know the signs to see where those rotors are by means of uh, cumulus fractus clouds so you get an idea of what's going on with the air mass because it's the daily business as a glider pilot and if you're only flying powered aircraft i think you're not that trained so well yeah, in terms of weather so where you are in in austria is it common for you to come across another glider pilot sitting beside you or that not happen very often? Um, it doesn't happen that often. We are not such a, a popular gliding site, I would say. We have a, a really big advantage. Our, our airfield is directly on the edge of, of the city, at the border of, of the city. I mean, <laughs> for you, Chuck. My hometown has about 200,000 inhabitants, which is probably a small town for, for the United States. For Austria, it's the third biggest town. And uh, this is a big advantage for, for the guiding clubs who are located here because we have uh, a lot of uh, new pilots, student pilots, and uh, you can reach our airfield very easily from, from the city center. So this is uh, a great place, and uh, it's I would say it's a bit undervalued in Austria. But I'm of course for me it's it's the best place for to do soaring in the world. Nice, and uh, I love my airfield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rudy, I wanted to congratulate you on your YouTube channel. Looks like you're picking up some good following right now. You got some great content. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for the appreciation, Chuck. Uh, yes, I started with my YouTube channel uh, some some time ago, about one and a half years, something like that. And uh, I try to to make videos with the content. Uh, I assume that that 
also other glider pilots like it. So I try to explain things, for example, or do an introduction on the wave camp, for example, or just um, let, the, let the viewer participate on my flights. And uh, I'm happy that the audience is growing and growing and it gets more attention. I'm really happy about that. Unfortunately, uh, making those videos <laughs> takes a lot of time, as probably uh, every YouTuber uh, knows. And uh, my time is, is in some ways limited. I would have uh, tons of, of gigabytes uh, of recorded material still on my hard drives, but, but the time is missing to, to convert it into a YouTube video. But I try to, to upload yeah, more or less regularly. Well, there's some good stuff there, and, and we appreciate it. The YouTube is starting to light up with a lot of different glider pilots, and it's exciting to see that making people more aware of the sport. Yeah, yeah. Wings and Wheels has been serving the soaring and sport aviation community for over 30 years. They hands down have the largest and most comprehensive inventory of sailplane and soaring supplies in North America, and they ship globally. Nearly everything you'll find on their site is in stock and ready for same-day shipping. Wings and Wheels is the exclusive American representative for HPH sailplanes. Be sure to check out the Twin Shark, their latest launch. They're also now the exclusive distributor in North America for the new Just Soaring Glider Sim Pro. The team has thousands of hours of flying experience in gliders and airplanes, staffed by Adam, Kelly, Julie, and Sean. A friendly voice will answer when you call or email them. Check them out at wingsandwheels.com. So if we could talk about some record flights you did, maybe talk about the 13.5 uh, meter out and return record you set in 2020. And looking at the end of the video, you looked pretty excited. And given the weather that day, it must have felt even sweeter to actually bag that record. Yeah, it was it was a great day. Setting a record was was yeah a dream. It was a goal for me in the 13.5 meter class. And when I finally flew that, the day started not very, very good. It was quite weak in the morning. Even in the early morning, there was a cloud coverage. But the day got better and better. And uh, I remember the last 150 kilometers, it was pure joy. It was uh, flying uh, below cloud streets. And it was really great, besides of the very last 30 kilometers. <laughs> where everything was getting blue and, and, and hardly a thermal to find. Oh, and uh, <laughs> it was then uh, a challenge at the end. Yeah, but, but it was great. And, and uh, it was even more nicer to see that, that everything worked out because flying, flying the performance is, is only one part in setting a record. The other part, which is uh, the same important like like the gliding performances all the doing the bureaucratic stuff right so i i would have made um a quite similar flight two years before that date but um yeah i simply made a mistake in the declaration and and so it was no no world record maybe if we could pick one other record or badge flight that stands out for you and share with us about that day and why it sticks with you I remember a flight for the Baron Hilton Cup. Baron, the Baron Hilton Cup has a very special place in my heart, I have to say. 
I remember when I first heard about the Baron Hilton Cup, it was a, during a presentation of um, two Austrian guys who who were invited to the winner's camp and they were making a presentation in my hometown um, about the winner's camp. And uh, it was when I just got the license, I would say some 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 month or a few years back. And and I remember I was so stunned when 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 joining this presentation and afterwards i remember i walked out uh, of of the room and i simply i only couldn't think about uh, this presentation and about the baron hilton cup and i put all my efforts together in the in the next in the next upcoming years then i tried to learn as much as i can everything about the routes you you had to fly an FAA triangle for example and uh, get to know the areas the routes etc etc and it was really a big goal to to win the baron hilton cup and get invited and in 2006 i was i completed an 800 kilometers striking angle and uh, i got third uh, the third place but due to several other rules there was a a slight chance to being be invited to the winners camp it didn't work out and uh, two years later, and now back to your question, Chuck. Uh, two years later, I had an awesome flight. It was really more than eleven and a half hours. Oh wow! And uh, I almost, I almost, um, I completed the triangle, but I did not get uh, the altitude uh, restriction because you, you maximum allowed uh, an altitude difference of. Um, between crossing the start and the finish line of maximum 1,000 meters, and uh, I had 1,400 meters, oh, so it it did not count, and it would have been uh, the the best flight uh, in this period. And shortly afterwards, um, Baron Hilton um, ended his, this cup, and I was really, really sad. And of course, a long time I was thinking about what went wrong and why it went wrong and and maybe you know it when something happens you're questioning why why did it go like this and um i probably have a, a um an answer to that it's uh, maybe after this competition period the winners camp would have been in the beginning of june and this is exactly the date where i first became a father Oh wow! So maybe somebody up there said, mm, "Don't win the cup, stay at home. It's better for you." Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and I was quite saddened uh, to hear uh, that Mr. Hilton passed away some years ago. But I've read all the stories uh, from Google Earth. I know the flying Emirates in Nevada and stuff. So it's yeah, it will always be a special place in my heart. This Baron Hilton Cup. Absolutely. There are some great stories, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, jumping halfway around the globe here for a bit, during our pre-interview, you had mentioned that you had the opportunity to fly gliders in several other countries. And that stuck with me with Israel and especially Japan, a place a lot of glider pilots don't associate with gliding. Kind of like when our producer Mitch told me that they sold a glider simulator down in Indonesia. And it turns out that they have a decent community of glider pilots which we thought is kind of crazy, but also pretty cool. Just in as much detail, maybe, as you want, both of these places, I think community interests 
is super high on these, you know, off the grid places. Yeah. So I want to 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 start with some rares. I have a, a hobby besides besides uh, my job. It's um, to visit gliding sites uh, on stays during my professional nice. job. So so I started with uh, okay, we have got uh, a stay in Copenhagen, for example, Denmark, and I thought to myself, okay, what what would I love to to do? most and of course it was guiding then later i found an advertisement um on the on the main portal and i uh, and i saw that this guide pilot was flying from copenhagen and i wrote to him hi my name is rudy i'm enthusiastic uh, enthusiastic uh, guide pilot sorry to say i'm completely not interested in your glider but i'm interested know about where you right. fly and <laughs> and uh yeah the next time i was there he took me uh to his guiding site and we had a great flight in in his two discos and i try to to visit uh, as much guider sites in the world as, as possible and and this uh, made me come to even to japan and, and israel it was uh, let's start with japan it was not easy because uh i i made a research on, on Google and if you type in guiding in Japan right you get I think only only one one website which is uh, in English oh, wow. as I don't uh, understand the, the Japanese uh, science writing right. science so I wrote to them and said uh, well look can I come over and and they replied yeah it's not a problem but they only fly on weekends and Japanese holidays. Oh, wow. And we had uh, most of the time only short stays where, where I couldn't uh, go there. So I had to, to get a rotation uh, with my airline job that allows me, which, which is long and which was long enough. Yeah. And which had free time on a Japanese holiday or on the, on the weekend. And uh, yeah, finally, I managed that. And I remember quite vividly, uh, you have to ima imagine you go there, the time difference is about nine hours. You have almost no sleep and you have a lot of jet lag. Oh. <laughs> and further on, it's not like that you get a rental car and, and go there because they drive on, on, the, on, on the other right. side than, than we do here in Europe. So I forgot about that and I just checked the public transport, uh, which is quite good in, in Japan. And it's three hours one oh, way. Oh, man. Yeah. So I got up, I moved the curtain aside <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, it was foggy outside. Yeah. Oh, the man. weather was really bad. And I thought to myself, should I do, should I really go there? I mean, <laughs> am I that stupid? And <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but I, I thought then, yeah, I've come so, uh, up to this point now I'm going there. Yeah. doesn't matter if, how the weather turns out. And while, while going there, the weather improved and I arrived at, at the gliding site. They were all very welcoming me and they were waiting for me. And then I had a, a short flight in a, in a twin steer. Unfortunately, there weren't any thermals, but it was great to see from up there, the, the skyline of Tokyo and, and so on, it was really, really a great uh, experience. And I wouldn't want to miss that out. Actually, the, the airfield is quite similar to, to those in Europe. It's, it's quite green there everywhere. All the guiders are 
mostly German type of, of aircraft, so from the known manufacturers. Yeah, what I appreciate around the globe is the connection between aviators. Yep. You know, I went there, everybody was was friendly and and said, hey, welcome. And, and it's really a great experience, no matter where you are. I presume that, but that was my next question I was going to ask you. It was like a family, like it is everywhere I've run into when it comes to aviation. But that's awesome that that it is. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And also, if you if you um, for example, if you're selling or buying an item or or or, or an aircraft, there almost never occurred any disappointment. You know, when when you are selling some some stuff on on the internet, some write to oh yeah, I take it, no problem, and and then you do not hear anything anymore from them. And there is a special quality if you share the same passion. So uh, if if they are interested, it it has hand and foot, as we say in, in German. I don't know if, if there is such a phrase in English. Oh, hand and you foot. Know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And and with Israel, is it was uh, quite similar. I mean, um, at that time, my club was looking for, for a glider and, and we were looking for a PIC-20 E, so a self-launch able PIC-20. We thought maybe that's the right thing for us. And I saw one on, on, on the internet and I wrote to him and said, oh, we would be interested and, and stuff. And he replied, oh, yeah, you can almost come anytime to Tel Aviv and uh, yeah, I'll pick you up. And and then I wrote, yeah, I'm an airline pilot. I'm coming on this Friday. Nice. <laughs> and he said, what? Uh, this Friday? We are <laughs> not ready yet. <laughs> 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 yeah and nevertheless yeah i visited uh, them because um, every month in tel aviv i visited him uh, he took me to the airport it was really an, uh, an adventure and um, i saw i had a look on the glider and uh, he took me up or a friend of of, of him took me up uh, again in a twin steer and it was very very interesting so what I figured out is that in Israel, there are only three airfields where gliding is done, two are more to the north of the country and one is uh, to the south where I was. It's more or less in the desert oh, wow. and they only can fly on, if I remember correctly, on Fridays and Saturdays. Oh, really? Because, of course, due to the political situation, and they always have to be in radio contact with the Air Force. Of oh, course, wow. So that... But it's it's great, and there have been done a lot of um, fantastic flights down there. I remember the OLC once made uh, one of the flights in Israel to the flight of the year, so which which was across the, the Dead Sea and so on. So it's very interesting. Wow, very interesting. Interesting to to hear how other glider ports do it all over the world. Yeah, and by the way, it all those adventures were the reason. For my name, for my channel name on on uh, YouTube, it's called Rudy's Guiding Adventures because I wanted to to share those uh, stories. But unfortunately, I do not have any videos from those uh, adventures, from those guided flights. So yeah, maybe I'm, I'm I'm doing a video where I show some of the pictures and 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 on the light with uh, with voice. So, oh, that'd be good. Think that would work? Yeah, I don't know if 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 um, the audience would appreciate uh, such because it's not not moving pictures, you know. 
but I think I, uh, I want to give it a try and, and, and share the story. Maybe the storytelling is also interesting to the audience. We will see for the future. Absolutely. I think you should go for it. I think it's a great idea. Okay. Thank you. Rudy, I want to talk about your glider, the Silent Electro. You know, I used to think it was only a sustainer, but obviously after seeing the video of you self-launching, it can do that too, which is pretty amazing, especially from the front-mounted propulsion system and propeller. Anyway, how about just take us through your thought process prior to buying this glider and after having flown it a while now, what do you like about it and what do you less than like? Or maybe what can be done better in the future versions? Yeah, the the decision, the story be, behind the Silent 2 Electric is, is as follows. Um, my club was looking for a plane, as I already mentioned. And in 2015, we came across, we, we thought about which requirements do we have? Um, it should be it should be a glider which is uh, easy to fly, easy to handle, because we wanted that as many pilots uh, as possible to to fly with a, a new machine. And uh, we thought, well, it's getting more and more popular to to use powered uh, gliders, but most of the club members they do not have the routine to to handle. Um, Self launcher, even with sustainers, it's it's not that easy. You need some routine, and and a lot of guider pilots simply do not have uh, this routine. And so we came across um, the electric propulsion system, and then the guy said, "Oh, well, there is uh, the Silent Two Electro, and uh, it is even self launch able. It is capable of doing self launches with the normal FAS system, uh, thanks to its light weight." And yeah, we went there, we, we, we made a test flight and then, then we decided to buy one. And so this is question, this is uh, the story behind the silent. And uh, then I bought one by myself to go for the goal with the record uh, setting. And uh, I also rented it for, for interested pilots. So it was able to rent. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's, it's quite different actually flying such a FAS powered guider compared to other ones but i'm really really happy with it so yeah, of course you need also kind of experience to really get out the last bit of performance or know how to operate it because it's it's different to to combustion engine driven motor guiders you need to to take uh, some other things into consideration i tried to explain it in one of of my videos but it's so easy to operate and and so reliable and and you can if you need the engine you know within one second if it's working or not and you do not lose any altitude aerox the number one in portable and engineered aviation oxygen systems your source for faa approved oxygen masks and portable oxygen systems and now introducing the aerox pro 2 plus flight bag portable oxygen system small lightweight and simple to use, the Pro 2 Plus is perfect for the occasional user who wants the flexibility to access higher altitudes without worry about flying impaired. Now available at Aerox Distributors and at Aerox.com. So remember, our friends at Aerox, engineered for aviators. Uh, speaking of your videos, there's a recent video that featured your glider. It's a pretty amazing video sequence where you do a 360 around the control tower there at Vienna Airport. And then you do a full stop landing into a parking spot. So can you tell us about the inspiration to do that video and, and how that unfolded? 
Yeah, this is this is a great story, and and it is it was a long time dream. Um, there are several reasons for for this dream. I would say, on the one hand, I wanted to show show the audience what you can do with a fast powered glider, which you normally can't do. I mean, nobody would fly into an international airport with a with a retractable combustion engine. Nobody would <laughs> be. <laughs> Yeah, nobody would do it simply. <laughs> But um, uh, one of the main reasons was uh, that every time when I, Vienna is my home base as an airline captain, every time when I depart on one of the runways, we are passing by the, the tower, of course, in a quite a high altitude. And it was simply a dream that I thought, ah, I want to do once a 360 around the tower. Because you can do it, you can fly level, it's, it's no problem. I had this dream in my mind, and then Corona came. Uh, the the flights, the number of flights broke down everywhere in the world, and I saw this is one of the few positive things of of Corona right. uh, that that I maybe could realize uh, this dream, and and I started to working in it. There is um, a 17 minute video which shows the story, but um, some some points are. I want want to point out by realizing it with this um, dream. So, I mean, it's it's a bit of a spoiler now. <laughs> so, everybody uh, who is watching the video afterwards knows already what's coming. But but uh, I want to answer your question. Uh, the first time I I tried to fly there, you know, I was pretty aware that that this is this is a very unusual thing. You know, somebody's coming there wants to fly some maneuvers over the airport and originally there was only a, um, a low approach planned and uh, I tried to make it clear that that I'm not a stupid idiot you know <laughs> right. because somebody's coming and they want to do something and 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 they probably uh, he's not knowing uh, which which uh, procedures there are with IFA traffic and so on so I called them I called ATC on the day before and Uh, also, um, some some days before the, f the first attempt, uh, stating, "Look, I'm an airline captain. I know all about the procedures. I know how it's uh, working uh, on this specific airport as I'm flying there by myself and other stuff. And when I was during the tow and the tow from from the small airfield, which is in the vicinity of of Vienna International Airport, and dur during the tow." They said no, it's not possible at all. So, so stay away and do not, do not come into the vicinity of the oh, airport. Man. And uh, and I thought, what the heck is going on? Yeah, I, I mean, I made even this long tow to save energy to be prepared. I would have, I could have done do it um, <clears throat> only with uh, electric power. So to depart on the own power, fly there and go back. But I just wanted to to have some reserves uh, in case of there is an IFA uh, departure and I have to hold somewhere or something like this. And then they say, hey, it's not possible. It's simply not possible. I was very, very disappointed. And, and when coming back, I thought, well, I have two possibilities. So either I'm I'm angry on them the whole rest of my life or I just simply call them and, and, and ask them, hey, what what was going on? And uh, I took the, the second option and it turned out that I only considered ATC 
but in reality the airport operator has a lot to say on that airport i didn't didn't think about okay. that and I called them and I had a personal chat then uh, with the with the chief um, airport operator, more or less. So the the chief um, who is responsible for the air, air side, and he's a, he's a really nice guy. And he explained it to me. Oh, sorry, there was also a bit of a misunderstanding because they saw they simply saw on the screen there is a, a, an unusual plane coming, and uh, they were were questioning themselves. Um, which type of, of, of aircraft is it? Then they had a look on the internet and finding my glider, of course, and not looking that exactly to see that it has a propeller right. because it's a white propeller on the white fuselage. Right. And they thought I'm a pure glider, so I would be stuck on their runway. <laughs> and of course they said, no, that cannot happen at all. <laughs> And and then I I explained there uh, yeah look I'm no not, not an idiot I know what I'm doing, and then he said yeah okay sorry and and so on and in a side sentence he mentioned that it's the same price when you do a low approach a touch and go or a full stop landing huh and in the moment he said this, this <laughs> I thought well stop. If it's the same price, yeah, and if you have to the full amount, uh, doesn't matter if I'm doing a low approach or a full stop landing. Then I would like to do a, a full stop landing, and then I would like to have a parking position <laughs> next right to an Airbus A320, nice. which I'm flying in my professional <laughs> job. And yeah, then so we so we we had a good chat, and and then I waited until the weather was fine. I selected a. a a day uh, in the week where they have less traffic than than yeah I mean in Corona they almost never they had a, only a few departures and arrivals but I selected a, a day where they had even fewer and then I selected a time of the day where they really where there really was no IFA traffic and I think they had one departure something like this. Yeah, and then 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 uh, I flew there. I I wrote to the chief uh, airport uh, operator, the chief of the airport um, operator, that hey, I would like to do that the next day. And uh, he said, yeah, he's preparing everything. He's he's sending an email to ATC so that everything is fine. And yeah, the second attempt was 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 what you can now see on the internet. And I'm really happy it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, of it, course. It was awesome. You know, I was watching it and I was like, wait a minute, how did this happen? I I see your glider and I see this jet set in there. I'm like, what? This doesn't make sense to me. I got to hear about this. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I, I need to make uh, part two uh, also because because uh, some some friends are asking me, yeah, and how, how how did you manage to to get away from this airport? I said, well, this was the reason for the tow. I landed with almost full capacity. I just departed on my own and flew back, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, and, nice. <laughs> and there are a lot of of, of uh, pictures of where I'm texting. Um, yeah, with the airliners on the left and right hand side, and I want to put it all together in a, in another video once. There had to have been some people looking at that the same way I did. Like, what? What? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, that's good stuff. I wanted to stick with your videos just for a few minutes here. We noticed that you had mm -hmm. a near miss with a general aviation aircraft somewhere there in Europe. Can you talk to us about that experience and whether that is related to another video you have of a new canopy flasher system you installed on your glider? And while you're at it, how about speak a few minutes about this pretty new tech that is just now starting to find some adoption in the community? Yeah. Yeah, so <clears throat> um, I had this near miss, uh, which you mentioned, and it was luck. I mean, it was luck that it was on the near miss, but it was also a luck that I um, had the camera running. I I prepared the video about the, the Hawk variometer, and I switched it on really 10 seconds before I had this, this near miss. You can see my finger on the variometer showing. Yeah, some explanations on, on the on the barometer, and then the flam suddenly began to to issue this um, uh, important alarm. And uh, first of all, I didn't see the 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 other traffic, so so I thought, what can I do? And and I th I thought to myself, just just bank to the right, make yourself visible by by making the silhouette bigger and so on. And uh, then I saw it finally. Wow. And uh, and I saw that he's passing by. But this was really a, an experience. I haven't had it in the previous 20 years of guiding. Wow. And this is uh, this is always a risk. And, and we have to reconsider that this can happen anytime, basically. I firstly published it on YouTube Shorts and it went pretty viral. But there were a lot of, of people commenting not only good things. They, they said, oh, yeah, what's about ADSB? There is no ADSB and there is no, no common frequency in Europe, which they don't know. And I've given up to comment all, all these comments. But um, I thought to myself, it's, it's important. And then, then this canopy flasher is becoming more and more popular. And I thought I combine those two things. So the reason on the one hand side, and I think it would have made a difference. So uh, I think it's a pretty good new technology and uh, it improves the vis visibility of our small silhouettes, especially when you are flying in the snow covered mountains. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. And this is why I've put it in the beginning of, of the how to install the the canopy flasher. Absolutely. Video. Rudy, sticking with safety theme for a little bit, and this time something other than the visibility. How about pick one topic or theme that you think would benefit pilots in the gliding community when it comes to soaring safety, whether from personal experience or reading accident reports or watching YouTubes or even events or situations from your local club? Maybe just spend a few minutes and talk about safety here. Yeah, I think a big difference between between soaring and, and commercial airline operations is the checklist work. Uh, in, in the airline operations, you have always the same procedure every flight. So it doesn't matter if you are doing four flights a day, you always stick to the standard operating procedure, no matter which airport, no matter which time of the day or anything, or how often you have been already flying with uh, your first officer. And there is um, the Segelfliegen magazine, so the Soaring magazine, a German-speaking magazine. 
which is uh, picking up this topic. And I think it's really important that we can learn from, from the commercial airline industry. For example, I have thought a long time if I should mention it or not. There is a saying in German here. Yeah? There are two different type of, of glider pilots. Yeah? One, one part of the glider pilots, they have already uh, landed without a gear and there, the other part, it lies ahead of them, you know. And this is exactly uh, what, I, what I mean. So uh, you hardly uh, never hear that uh, a, a commercial jet airplane forgot to extend the gear before landing. Yeah? Right. But there have been uh, a lot of, of uh, situations and pilots um, in the guiding community. <laughs> and now I'm coming to the point, it even happened to me. Yeah, I, uh, I long thought about it if, if I should mention it because as, as also Bruno Wasland and Stefan Langer told, you don't want to put on social media um, things you happened. Yeah, it's, it's not, not uh, a human behavior always you want to be normally on social media the good one but those things happen and those things can be can be uh, avoided and quite easily by sticking to checklists like commercial aviation is doing it since more than 50 years and i think it's a, it's an important thing that uh, we implement in in our way also such checklist work absolutely they're they're there for a reason yeah 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 absolutely yeah and in the segelfliegen magazine uh, two commercial airline pilots they wrote these articles and it's now a series and um yeah i hope we we all can can learn from that just soaring the makers of the glider sim pro sailplane simulator cockpit would like to congratulate german pilot ben fest for his recent victory in the first ever fai sanctioned aviation esports event in history the sailplane world grand prix which ben won after several days of exciting competition against some of the top condor soaring pilots from around the world if you are looking for a best-in-class dedicated sailplane simulator cockpit for Condor or Microsoft Flight Sim, look no further than the Just Soaring Glider Sim Pro. Check them out at JustSoaring.com or at Just.Soaring on Instagram. Rudy, staying on the uh, safety, have you ever trained in glider aerobatics? And what are your thoughts about glider pilots investing time and money in advanced spin training, inverted flying, and all that stuff? Uh, I think it's it's interesting and i think it's it's a good thing basically um i remember you know normally a glider doesn't have a stall warning right, right? and uh, i was always trained from the beginning you, you kind of hear your speed in a glider and if, if this noise from from the from the airspeed is getting too low then then be alarmed yeah you 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 run out of you can run off out of speed and when i began with my my commercial training um we flew with cessna 152s um into the spin and everything in my head was was putting an alarm oh you're too low uh you're you're too slow you're too slow you're too slow but actually i think it's it's a good training if um somebody gets this experience so to to really fly a stall and and the spin and learn how to recover it so basically i think it's it's a good thing but for me personally i do 
I convert the altitude better in, in gaining distance and flying cross country than doing aerobatics. Yeah. So what are your goals for 2022 and what do you have upcoming on your calendar? Goals for 2022, um, after, after having realized my dream with this world record, now absolutely number one goal is uh, fly a thousand kilometers in the flatlands. From our home airfield, we are pretty unusual Austrian pilots, I would say, because most of, of the Austrian glider pilots, they fly in the mountains, but we fly in the flatlands and also to the Czech Republic and Germany. And uh, nobody has done a thousand kilometers in the flatlands before from our home airfield. And I'm working on this since a long time. I've made several 900 plus kilometer flights in the past. And actually the next video will be about uh, one of my uh, one of my latest attempts last year. Oh, nice. And so I want, want to, to fly a thousand kilometers in the flatlands, preferably achieving the 1000k diploma which where you have to um, fly it via declared waypoint this would be an extra bonus of course nice we're, we're going to keep an eye on that let us know yeah i will do so and as always here we like to give our guest pilots a chance to give a shout out to your flying buddies mentors instructors family or just about anybody that has been an integral part of course of your gliding life yeah i would say there is not a specific person I want to shout out, but I think about it uh, before our interview. And what is really important to me to mention is that I've participated so much. I've made so much progress by a lot of people, experienced guided pilots or flight instructors, getting to know details and telling me some, some interesting stuff who were willing to share their experience. So to make other pilots better. Decades ago, I've heard uh, very a long time ago um, that in former days the glider pilots they, they were keeping their knowledge, yeah, so so not sharing at all. And this has changed completely. So so I, I don't know uh, how it has been could have been done in the past. But I'm so happy to to learn so much things from a lot of different people. So I would want to give a shout out to every glider pilot, whether it's a flight instructor or another usual uh, glider pilot who is willing to share his experience and, and let other people participate on it. So other pilots um, can improve their skills. So this is a really big thing. Good thing. Absolutely. Rudy, are you ready for our lightning round? Yeah, let's go. The key lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Fast but fun. So, if you had to fly at one bank angle other than zero, what would that be? Yeah, definitely 40 degrees, as I learned from your last episode with Christopher Fleming. Nice. <laughs> yes, and there is a mathematical calculation that this is the optimum bank angle, and I'm definitely going to try this out this, uh, this year. Nice. <laughs> Not a trick question, but we have literally gotten different answers, even from airline pilots. You can only land out in two fields, right? One has a good upslope, but has a 15-knot tailwind. The other has a bit of a downslope, but it's into a 15-knot headwind. All things equal, which do you pick without getting too technical about the question? From my feeling, I would pick the headwind situation where I have to accept a little bit of a downslope. Okay. Money, no object, or okay, let's say you have 
like three hundred thousand dollars, right? And you could only spend it on a sailplane. What would you buy, and why? I'm pretty excited um, about the the Yonker planes, and they are also available in the electric propulsion version. Nice. And I'm really satisfied with electric propulsion. Um, so probably I would pick a J3 RES. Nice. Okay, other than your own channel on YouTube, whose content are you watching or appreciating the most lately? Uh, from my experience, I'm a lot watching the Pure Glide channel, but also Stefan Langer, of course, and, and Bruno Vastel, as well as Juliet Sierra, and um, now new also Chess in the Air, where I learned that the guy is, uh, is Austrian. Actually, yeah, yeah, I had a look on 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 his homepage, and uh, yeah, I found it really interesting. Regardless of what you have in your glider, what do you think the overall best flight computer on the market is right now? Hard to say, as I only know the instruments which which I have. Uh, I would say the most popular one is for sure Elixnav. If you only had seven days left to live, and God said you could only stay alive if you went soaring every day. And you could pick any place you wanted to go. Where would you want to go? <laughs> That's not so easy. Uh, <laughs> I would need, <laughs> I would need a, a place where I can fly um, where the weather is right uh, for seven days in a row. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but there is a, a place, and uh, um, I heard about it when I was uh, at George Lee's uh, training camp back in 2003, there is this magical place in Australia called Burgtown, uh, which is a very small uh, city. And you know the city only when you know about the morning glory rolling cloud phenomena, ah. where these roll clouds are coming in. As far as I know, it's the only place where you can uh, saw those morning glory roll clouds. And this is really one of my long-term dreams to to fly once at Burgtown and try to saw the morning glory roller clouds. What's your favorite large commercial airport in the world and why? Also not an easy question. I would um, concentrate more on European airports. I haven't been, um, my memories are not that vividly when flying long ranges already some years ago. But I would say London Heathrow because uh, normally you have got a westerly uh, approach uh, and then you have the approach directly over over the city, and it's really great. And furthermore, it's um, always uh, every approach is different <laughs> because uh, they have the requirements that you should not fly any level flight below six thousand feet, so to uh, to make not too much noise. So you always have to calculate uh, your descent rate and. Um, Think about where to reduce the speed, where to to move the flaps, and um, together with this uh, great city where you do the approaches, it's it's really great. And the ATC is, is really great there. So, what's the most challenging commercial airport you've ever had to land in, and why? A uh, challenging airport. I have once the situation we were flying into Funchal, which is on on the island of Madeira, which is already known for. Uh, the winds can be so strong and and which they cause a lot of turbulence and i really had a a, a very scary situation once 
and um yeah this was the only time when i flew there but but this can be really really tricky airbus or boeing <laughs> that's a mean question <laughs> yeah I'm, i'm i'm happy to i mean i'm flying the a320 Uh, now and I've been flying Boeing triple seven in the past, so I know a bit about Boeing and I know a bit about Airbus. And I would say the best plane would be a combination of of both. You know, there is uh, some parts of the Airbus philo philosophy which I really appreciate, but also Boeing has got a, some really great features. So um i don't trust any pilot who is who is uh saying oh it's no only airbus or it's only boeing so. <laughs> right <laughs> what's the most bizarre or interesting thing you've seen from the cockpit in the airliner good question it it uh now we're coming back to this approach to funchal when we were flying there we had a wind speed of 75 knots uh, in 2000 feet oh and we went into a negative wind shear And on the primary flight display of the Airbus 320, you never see, you, you get um, the stall speed indicated, but you never see it in flight, except on that day when we went into this negative wind shear and we lost 35 knots indicated airspeed within 60 feet of, of altitude. Wow. And the, the stall speed was coming really close. And I was a young co-pilot at this time, and it really... It it was really scary. I mean, the 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 captain at this time was was fl uh, pilot flying. I was first officer, but it really made made me really scary. Yeah. Wow. So it was really frightening. So you are exactly halfway over the Pacific in the most remote part away from landouts. You're flying a triple seven, and one of the engines goes out. Your stress level on a scale of one to ten. Mm, engine failure, I would say uh, a five, because um, you know all of those aircrafts they are certified for flying um, a long time with only one engine. This is the requirement before you can cross uh, the ocean. And we are training; we are being trained uh, in the simulator with uh, engine failures. Another thing would be if a smoke or a fire warning goes on then the stress level would be even higher because smoke and, and fire are the most dangerous things in, in, in commercial aviation and you really have to land somewhere. And I, I had a, really a quite similar um, situation once. We were halfway in the, in the Atlantic, so 1,000 nautical miles behind us, the last airport, and 1,000 nautical miles um, ahead of us, the next airport, and suddenly we got a smoke warning in the cockpit. Oh. And this was really... A bad situation until it turns out it turned out that it was a false situation but it was in the middle of the night and i think i don't have to explain more <laughs> okay same same question but this time <laughs> for the glider <laughs> you mean an engine failure over the <laughs> ocean? <laughs> all right Our longtime sponsor of the show, the Soaring Academy, is engaged in nonprofit outreach work with local area veterans and also with young people for the STEM programs at their top-notch glider port facility just outside of Los Angeles, nestled near the north side of the San Gabriel Mountains. They also have a fantastic flight school and are continuing to turn out great glider pilots every month. 
If you like to donate to their nonprofit initiatives or learn more about their flight school, go to soaringacademy.org or check them out on Instagram at Soaring Academy. Best looking or most interesting flight attendant uniforms in the world. <laughs> and now I have to be really careful with what I'm saying. <laughs> because... Uh, um, I don't know that many many uh, flight attendant uniforms uh, all over the world, but ours are, are pretty outstanding. Actually, uh, all our flight attendants are, are dressed completely in red, like it or not. But but if you're running through an airport and, and looking behind you, if if all of your crew is still here, you get an easy overview. If you have uh, all of the flight attendants still with you, or if somebody's missing. Right. A lot of airlines, they, they have uh, blue uniforms and blue is quite common. It's a quite common uh, color also for normal people. So you, you have to take care of your flight attendants even more and look for them if, if they are still here. What country or two countries in the world have your favorite ATC operators and which one of two the least favorite? And don't worry. None of them are listening to this podcast, or or we don't think. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as mentioned before, I really appreciate um, the controllers while flying into London Heathrow Airport. You have to know that uh, London is really crowded, and there are a lot of of, of airports, not only Heathrow, and they really do a great job and always polite, always helpful. And, and even if the stress level is quite high, they always have time also to not only to give you instructions, also to say goodbye, something like this. So they are really, really great. And they have to, they have to look for, for the, for all the planes that they are coming in really at the minimum uh, time, because uh, so many planes are flying into, into Heathrow, for example, and they are really great. But even I've been to Chicago O'Hare um, Airport with the 777, and they are also great controllers. So I would pick those two. Okay, takeout food, Chinese or Indian? Mm, Chinese. <laughs> Beverage of choice after a record-setting flight. Water, beer, scotch, tea, or milk? <laughs> <laughs> I would say first drink a bit of water to to get your thirst down and afterwards beer to enjoy the flight. Nice. <laughs> I but don't drink too much beer when you're thirsty because you're getting drunk quite easily and then you cannot <laughs> enjoy your flight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Name one thing that you think is underrated or overlooked about Austria in terms of a place people want to visit when traveling around Europe. Mm, I would think uh, that uh, most people think on Mozart and classical music and Vienna and Salzburg when when thinking think about Vienna, uh, when think about Austria. But our country is small, but it's pretty, and I think we have a lot to to see. I would point out nature. We have a lot of of uh, mountains where you can do a lot of different sports and enjoy the nature so i would i would uh, go with that one well Rudy, that about wraps it up for us here on soaring the sky today but thank you so much for joining me it's been a lot of fun it's been great chatting with you hearing your stories 
Yeah, Chuck, thank you very much for the invitation. I was pretty excited about it and uh, I'm very happy to, to, to join you on the podcast. I'm going to, to listen, continue to listen to all of your episodes, of course. And you're really doing a great job. Thank you for that. We're having a lot of fun doing this and a lot of great people behind me as well, helping me out and, and mm -hmm. making all this happen. So we're, we're just going to keep going. Yeah, continue uh, as as you do because it's it's really great and it's a regular happening for all glider pilots around the world. And for thank you for doing uh, for putting so much effort into into this podcast. Absolutely welcome. Hi everyone, Sergio from Sorry Master here. Today we're going to return to the topic of basic checks every pilot can do before starting a navigation. Many beginner pilots think that going cross-country is an all-or-nothing attempt, kind of hoping that everything will be okay along the route. But there are some ways of probing the certain conditions of the first leg of the navigation while still within gliding reach of our home field and taking the decision to proceed to the navigation based on an assessment of the conditions ahead. The first thing after releasing from the tow plane or after the winch launch is to look for tunnels and climb up to the top of lift. During this process, assess what the climb average is, if tunnels are broken or whether they are hard to center, identify the best bank angle, thermal speed and thermal radius. Once you have climbed, go to the opposite direction of your first leg, up to the gliding cone limit, and once there, head back to the field. This cone crossing is a good navigation probe. Air masses will maintain the same characteristics along a 100 km radius. So, just by doing this cone crossing, you'll be able to... you have a good idea of how convection will be like en route. During the scone crossing, assess thermal spacing and fine-tune your mercury setting, increasing or decreasing it as to reach thermals at the bottom of the energy band and maximize the cruising portion of your thermal flight. And of course, look ahead and identify if the big picture will remain the same for the next few hours or so, or if is there any mechanism that might change everything in the following hours like the entrance of high cover, storms, or haze. If conditions are satisfactory, you can proceed and depart. If the atmosphere is not like the forecast you saw before taking off, analyze what might be the cause, delayed heating, inversion, optimistic forecast, and reassess the task. Can it be delayed? Does it need to be shortened, etc. If the conditions are not good at all, just enjoy a local flight. The important thing is to take the decision of proceeding with the flight based on your certain conditions assessment. With time, the decision to go will become less stressful. By doing this check, the decision to go will become less stressful and more rational. I wish you all great flights. For more tips, follow me on Instagram at SurreyMaster or check my website SurreyMaster.com. Thank you, Sergio. Always appreciate your soaring tips and advice here on the podcast. Thank you all for joining us for another episode. And please let your friends know about the podcast and what they are missing. We need you to help us spread the word. 
while helping to grow the soaring community. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and happy soaring. If you would like to say hi and let us know where you are enjoying the podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you are a glider pilot and want to share your aviation journey, contact us at chuck at soaringthesky.com or send us a message on our website at soaringthesky.com and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next time for another soaring adventure here on Soaring the Sky, a Glider Pilots podcast. Soaring the Sky is written and produced by Chuck Fulton, co-producer Mitch Thompson. Original music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton. Voiceover work was done by Michelle Perez.